Our reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a still, small voice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Debs. If I um, showed you this picture, I imagine uh, you'd be thinking, what a good-looking family. Um, Which I would think too. Um, uh, But when I see that picture, I see a family with remarkable faith in a very faithful God. Um, Hannah and I have known um, Annie and Liz before the other two existed. Um, I've known each other for about 10 or so years. We used to live around the corner from each other in London and uh, we had kids at a similar time and um, I was trying to look for it. There's a lovely photo of us holding each other's uh, babies just after they're born. And um, about six years ago, um, Ali and Liz moved uh, from outside, uh, moved from London to Reading. They wanted to be closer to family as their uh, family was growing. And um, fast forward to last year, um, Ali and Liz living in Reading were finding it very hard to uh, connect, particularly coming out of uh, COVID, connect with community, connect with friends, and um, and they started kind of praying, Lord, would you kind of bring strong community around us? Would you uh, bring people that we could journey with and uh, do life together with? And um, what they sensed actually is as they started praying those prayers was that God was leading them in a different direction and because of their remarkable faith in a faithful God they started to pray some very bold prayers and their prayers were this take our lives and use them where you want us Take our lives, use us, Lord. And quite out of the blue, uh, the Lord placed the city of Southampton and particularly this, this community, St. Mary's, on their heart as kind of not being connected with us for many years. We hadn't spoken in about five years. Nothing bad had happened, um, but just like stage of life, different city. Um, uh, and, and so they messaged us and uh, they just sort of said hey we feel like God's kind of placing this kind of calling we don't not sure but we think that the Lord might be in it and kind of looking for a sense of confirmation uh, and just sort of boldly putting it out there so and Hannah and I didn't know any of this um, because of the uh, lack of uh, communication for those years. And um, without us knowing any of that, that morning uh, during worship on a Sunday morning, this was over a year ago, about a year ago now, uh, Hannah, uh, my wife Hannah, uh, had had an image of Liz playing cello, literally just sat there uh, on the stage as she was worshipping. She was just kind of like, oh, I see Liz Bradley on the stage playing cello. She does play cello, by the way. Um, that, was, that wasn't like... Um, uh, and uh, so um, she mentioned this to me at lunch and we, it was kind of that one of those like, oh, Ali and Liz, we love Ali and Liz. I haven't seen them in ages. We should reach out. And then child number two goes and runs into a fire. And so like the moment passed. Um, 
later that day, we receive this message saying, we feel like God is kind of preparing or, or kind of moving us in the direction of your church. We were just wondering, had God spoken to you at all about whether he might be leading us towards this community? And we had goosebumps, a kind of, we had literally have not thought about this for years. And in that moment, God was preparing the way. God was preparing our hearts and their hearts for uh, this move of where God's spirit was leading them. And so uh, skip ahead past some huge pragmatic and logistical challenges, as you can imagine, uh, that required a lot of courage and faith. Um, Liz and Ali are here. They're part of our community. They're here somewhere today. Uh, Liz uh, is now an author, which wouldn't have been possible where she was living before, and Ali works uh, from home as a freelancer, uh, and they feel called to be part of God's renewing mission to this city and beyond. They've come and said, take our lives, use them, use what's in our hands, use the relationships that we build here, living out a calling of God. And I want to talk today about what it might look like for each of us to live led by the presence of God, led by His presence alone, living out your calling, which will not always be straightforward, will not always be easy. And yes, there will be many challenges along the way, and there will be cost and sacrifice, but will always, always be worth it. So this is um, part three um, of our series in Life in the Spirit. Uh, part two, last week, Abiel spoke uh, about um, uh, shalom, the undivided peace uh, of God. Um, and then a super quick, you can take the picture down now. I feel like they're getting uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do that. Um, sorry. Uh, so um, a quick recap of part one, uh, where we looked at kind of some of like the theology behind the spirit of God. In Hebrew, it's the word ruach. Uh, and in Greek, in the New Testament, it's pneuma. They both mean the same thing. They mean this energizing life force of the personal presence of God. The thing that makes, move, that makes things happen, gives power, gives uh, insight to the people of God. Uh, it's, like, um, it's like a plane. It's like we are a plane at the bottom of a runway. Like we're built, we're created in his image. Uh, we are given all of the kind of potential to fly. We've got the wings and we've got the aerodynamic and we've got the engine that could be turned on. Uh, and the spirit of God is it's the life force, energizing spirit that actually helps us go off on the, up the runway into the air and pursue the things that God is calling us to pursue. It gives power, guides us, gives peace, clarity. The spirit gives comfort and protection and the spirit makes sense of our lives, leads us into love around us, speaking the good news in Jesus' name. Really, ultimately, the spirit being uh, at Pentecost, the birth uh, of the church, it is, it, is the, it is the fuel to fan into flame God's mission to reach a, a world in love. And so my question for us today that I want to start with is, what is one of the main threats to the church and its mission? 
What is the main threat to us reaching the world in love, being empowered by his presence and going and being the people of God, being the planes that have uh, the energy and fuel of God within them? Is it infighting and disunity, which there is plenty of? Is it not enough scripture? Is it not enough worship? Is it not enough insert your personal preference? Or is it a lack of finances? Say the early church didn't seem too bothered by that. I believe that one of the greatest threats to the church and its mission today to be the people of God for the world is this. Are we noticing renewal? The coming of God's kingdom that is already working and at hand around us. Are we noticing it? Are we attentive to the things that God is doing? Or to put it this way, as Ruth Haley Barton writes, not that one, the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. The greatest threat to our faith today is not being lost in many other things, but lost in distraction. Um, Rome was the first city uh, that reached a population of one million people, and they reached that population in 133 BC. Does anyone know uh, what the second city to reach a million inhabitants was? Shout out if you know. London. Tom, you've heard this before. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, It is London. So London reached a million uh, inhabitants uh, in... 1810, 133, first city to reach one million people. Almost one and a half thousand years later, second city to reach one million people. What is behind that one and a half thousand year gap? Well, in um, early 100 BC, uh, the Romans had discovered this new material, uh, and it's uh, this. Uh, It was this material that was strong enough uh, to build and to build structure and structures around, but it was also malleable enough to shape into pipes so that you could get water safely through it without spilling or losing too much water. And what that meant, it was this breakthrough technology, which meant that they could plumb fresh or relatively fresh water from kind of um, local surrounding uh, water containers and lakes and rivers. They could plumb water straight into the middle of the city. And so Rome was built uh, around these various squares where they could pump readily available water into the main squares of the city and into some of the extremely rich uh, and large houses. It was so good, this new technology, this new uh, material that they made the pipes and then they were like, hey, we can start making plates and cups and cutlery, everything out of this groundbreaking new material. It was so good and it's what led to this population boom in Rome as everyone flooded to be part of this groundbreaking new technology. Uh, That material in the picture is lead. And you and I know, uh, with the benefit of Roman hindsight, is that if you have too much lead in your water, or if you have too much lead in your food, you will be poisoned and you will most likely die. 
that lead poisoning wiped out almost an entire generation of Roman civilization. The point that I want to make is this. What was feeding them was also killing them. And I'd say in 2023, what is feeding us is also killing us. The things that we consume, the way that we get information, the, the things that we look at, what is feeding us is also killing us. We are fed by so many different things in this digital age that we are in. And, and you know, to start with, our, our connectivity to information has led to wonderful things in our modern age. Breakthroughs and developments in medicine and education, technological insight, all of that has been profoundly helpful. And who hasn't found their life greatly improved by immediate access to the right information at the right time? Like, I'm I'm there outside, in the, outside by my car watching a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to replace a headlamp in one of your lights for your cars. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm a mechanic. This is amazing. True story. Uh, log on uh, to the wedding gift list of the registry on the way to the reception from the church service, getting the last remaining spatula so you don't look like a bad friend or listening to your favorite song, literally talking to a robot that lives in your kitchen and say, hello robot, play my favorite song. Uh, and all of a sudden, Alexa or Google, whatever your choice is, or Siri, plays your favorite song without you having to rifle through CDs and trying to find, um, just for some of you, CDs are, um, they're, like, they're like little vinyls from a simpler time uh, that you'd put in your car and uh, in CD plus. You know, but as much as so many good things has happened, so many positive breakthroughs and developments, that connectivity, that access, opens us up to more portals of distractions and nonsense that Alice could have ever discovered in a lifetime in Wonderland. David Kinnaman, in his book, Faith in Exiles, that says this, that deep spiritual longing, he's talking about the digital age, like kind of the last 10 years or so, the deep spiritual longing, which ought to be lovingly tended and, and skillfully cultivated, is choked to death by binge television, immersive gaming, and social media scrolling. And I would add to that, just in case you can't relate to those three examples, distraction. The things that we get lost in, the things that are feeding us are also simultaneously killing us. You know, TV, computers, a good book, apps, jobs around the house, social media, the things that we stare at all day in and of themselves are not bad things. They are, they are not kind of evil, killing machines. But if we are not aware or intentional about how we spend our time, the ease and the allure and the shiny new features of whatever it is that you are into will prevent you from pursuing the most meaningful things in life. Let me put it this way. If you are not led by priorities, you will be led by pressure. And there is pressure, right? 
You feel it, like I feel it, like this world, it feels kind of pressurised. There's pressure to respond to all of the WhatsApps, to keep up with the latest news, to watch the next episode so that you have something to contribute in the next conversation, to see what that notification was about, to look a certain way, to look like you have it all together or or to attempt to have it all together. And all of a sudden you look up and it's 15 minutes later and you can't even remember why you reached for your phone in the first place. There was something that you were supposed to do. You see, the danger of distraction is that it stifles the real, the authentic and loving relationships that you and I were created for. It sidelines us from the deeply and true and from deeply and truly holding on to what is most important because we are no longer present with people. So What do we do about it? Do we go off grid, live like hermits and like never have any fun ever again in our life? Yes. (laughs) Come Holy Spirit, let's pray. Come on, let's stand and pray. I'm going by the laughing that you thought I was joking. Um, How do we overcome our distraction? How do we step into the things that we are created for rather than out of the things that distract, into the things that distract us? We overcome distraction with God's presence. You say that again. We overcome distraction with God's presence. See, God longs for a raw and real and honest connection with you to show you his real, raw and honest love, this tangible, fulfilling love that he has for you. He doesn't love you from a distance, but he wants to show you his present, gracious love in your life. And so I want to look at two passages of Scripture and suggest two really simple practices for us today that will help us reprioritize our lives so that we are led by priority and not pressure, to reprioritize your life around the way of Jesus, to become more like him and then discover a life of doing the things that he did led by his presence. And before I get into that, just to say, I'm aware that life is hard. I'm aware that like in 2023, in this nation, life is tricky. There are so many things up against us. And there are personal things that I could never possibly imagine what you are going through. Some of you are dealing with deep, deep pain deep, deep disappointment, deep, deep loss. And I just want to say uh, everything that I say here is not some like kind of pliffy or just do a practice and it will get rid of your pain. It's an invitation back into the presence of God. It's an invitation to draw close to him in your moment of suffering, in the silence, in the wondering and the doubting. So, Firstly, this, the first practice, the practice of paying attention. 
the world is demanding our attention all the time, as we've spoken about. And the trouble is, is because we are so immersed into that way of thinking, of quick, 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 immerse, 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 instant, 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 that bleeds into every part of our lives. The way that we think, the way that we behave, our work, our rest, and our relationships. And so therefore, it affects the way that we relate to God. You know, I've been in um, church leadership now for more than 15 years, and I think one of the most common conversations that I have with people is this. God just seems to be absent. I just, I can't, I don't know where he is in this situation at work or a relationship at home. I have this big decision to make, and I just don't know what he's saying. You know, I can often think that when we, um, at the first week of Alpha, when we are asking the question of those who have come for the first time, we ask this question, if it turned out that God were real, what question would you ask God? And every time it's a varying kind of suffering, um, kind of like, why is it unclear? And kind of all of these like deep longing questions. And I know that I relate to that. It's like, God, where are you in this? Could you not have made this a bit clearer? Could there just not have been like a bit more of a guide of like how to one, two, three? It would have suited my personality greatly. I just wonder in those moments, those moments of wondering and questioning, uh, given the culture that we live in, is this. Are you blaming God for his absence when you are the one who is no longer present? Are you blaming God for his absence when you are the one who is no longer present? And the reading that Debs gave us from uh, 1 Kings, it says David kind of uh, calling out for clarity from God. And uh, God isn't in the wind and he isn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire. But after all of that, it says this, a still small voice. The phrase here in that passage, actually, that we have translated still small voice, it doesn't really do the Hebrew words justice there. But then again, I think kind of what were the translators supposed to do when moving it from Hebrew into English? Because how do you translate silence? They would have been better off to say God was in the This Hebrew phrase, which means the expressed silent presence of God, his quietness and his closeness. So after the chaos, after the noise, after all of the big distractions that turn our eyes towards them, then God in the silence. And see, here's the thing about silence is that it makes you present to the moment. You become so much more aware of what is around you. As the noise begins to settle in your mind of all the things that are going on, as they start to quieten down, you start to become a lot more attentive to what's going on within and around you. You see, when we quieten down our hearts, 
when we move away from distraction and into the presence of God, we can start to pay attention to where God is, what he's doing, what he is saying, how his kingdom is coming. In the quietness, you can start to hear the loving heartbeat of God that beats to the rhythm of his promises. I am for you. I am with you. I am your protector and your sustainer. I will never leave or forsake you. I have plans for you. Or as the writer Elizabeth Elliot puts it, the secret of the Christian faith is this, Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. As we slow down and quieten our hearts, we can remember that Jesus, the Son of God, who was raised from, raised from the dead and ascended into glory, has now said, I am living in you. The God of the universe is accessible when we quieten ourselves down, become present to this moment, become present to ourselves, and we can know God within and then see God around us. So how do we do it? It's not particularly easy. We have been conditioned and trained in the last 25 years to basically have no attention span. And so how do we do it? I want to say this. You need to intentionally make space as often as you can intentionally make space as often as you can. It is no good you here uh, going out of that door and say, I'm going to be attentive. Like it's a great kind of, it's a great ambition. It's a great place to start with. But until you intentionally make some changes, it's just going to be a flash in the pan. James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, puts it like this. You do not rise to the level of your goals, but you sink to the level of your system. What he means by that is unless you build habits, routines, a lifestyle, a rhythm for your life and the way that you live in the world, you will never get to the things that you want to achieve. You will sink to the way that you live every single moment of your life. So... We need to change the system. We need to change the way that we live. We need the Spirit of God to breathe life into a new way of living. So intentionally make space. Intend to do it. Put it in your diary. If you miss one day, don't miss two. Put it, um, make a habit and a routine. Do it consistently. There are loads of kind of apps and other things like that that would be helpful. And I, I, I'm not dissing those or knocking those. But for me personally, just like the presence of technology is not that helpful. So there's just nothing kind of quite like a simple book, Bible, stillness inviting the presence of God to come and speak. I am here, you are here, we are here together is one of the most common prayers that I pray and then listen to the silence. Rather than get into a spiral about what you perceive to be as a problem, which is silence, rather listen for God in it. Because there in his still small voice, the the personal presence of God is found. That's practice number one. 
pay attention to the silence, for God is in it. Practice two, uh, the practice of attending. First attention and then attending. Uh, John 5, 19, Jesus says this to uh, those listening. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. The response to attention to God, to listening to him, is then being moved into attending the things of his kingdom. That is why when Jesus, who was full of the presence of God, had given him his attention, given God the Father his attention, then he gets up and then he says this, I just do what I see my Father doing. I'm aware of the presence of God and now I'm just gonna kind of follow where God leads. Could it be that because Jesus had met with God in those places of silence and solitude and quiet, He'd been with God without distraction over and over again throughout his ministry. Could it be that he was more able and more likely to see what God was doing in the world around him? He was attentive and then he started attending. That word, attending, um, uh, I find it helpful to think about it like this. Um, as an, uh, in American hospitals, um, which my main source of reference for most things medical is from house. Um, uh, you might be an ER fan or a Grey's Anatomy. There's enough. Does anyone watch an American medical drama? There we go. So they have this phrase, um, uh, which, is, which we call consultant um, uh, or the registrar, uh, but the attending physician is the person who goes around the ward and checks up on uh, all of their patients. Their job is they move through the wards is to see how the patients are doing, check their vital signs, adjust doses where uh, needed, see how everything's working so that they can get them better and healthy again. So in a, in a distracted, complex, fast-paced culture, what would the impact be if you assigned yourself the attending physician of the circles that you live in. Consider this, like what would happen in your marriage if you were the attending physician? If your job was to notice the strain in your spouse's eye, to notice the world uh, that uh, you can so often miss each other in and say, how can I help? What do you need? How can I love and serve you better? What would happen in your friendships if you assigned yourself, not waiting for someone else to do it, but if you assigned yourself the attending physician to your friends? What do you need? Can I check your vital signs? How are you actually doing? What would happen in your streets or in your halls if you assigned yourself that role, if you uh, took the time just simply to learn everyone's name on your street, that would have a profound impact in their world. It would open up so many more portals than you realize. What would happen in your workplace when you noticed the person who didn't come to staff drinks and sought them out and said, what's going on? Is there anything that I can do to help? 
Think for a moment in the places that you move, think or even that what you're doing this week. How could you attend to people, to the people that God has placed you amongst? You know, we can do this. We can attend to others because Jesus is our great physician. He attends to your needs. He meets you where you are already at. He loves you and gives you his peace and his protection, comfort, and and then draws you into this new life of meaning. He sees us in our distracted, procrastinated, and worn out states, filled with insecurity and anxieties, but he meets us in those places. For Jesus meets our need for freedom at the cross where he sets us free from sin and death. Jesus meets our need for purpose at the resurrection where he invites us into this new life with him. And Jesus meets our need for peace as he teaches us to follow his rhythms of grace, to lead lead out of priority with him rather than pressure from the world. Jesus attends to us when we give him the attention to do so. So draw your attention to Jesus and then attend to the things of his kingdom around you. I want to finish uh, with this that I think is a bit of a prophetic image of our time. You see it on most streets that you walk through. You see it in some of the meetings that you look at, that you are in at work. And dare I say it, you sometimes even see it at church. It's this sometimes bumping into lampposts, sometimes when you're even in like one-on-one conversation with people, it's this, like this is the image of our time, right? And look at where I'm facing, it's down and it's in. It's down and it's in, it's my stuff, my needs, my little world in this little rectangle. What if we were the people of God who were called not down and in, but we were called up and out, attentive to the things of God, attentive to his voice, listening to him in the silence, and then going out to our world in love. Spirit of God, fill us to be people who are up and out. That is my prayer. That's my prayer for me, it's my prayer for you, that we would be the people of God who follow the way of Jesus, playing our part in the renewal of this city as we attend, to, as we pay our attention to what God is doing in us and through us, and then attend to the world around us in his name. Amen.